welcome back to another episode of The Visitors Might Be Listening, the only podcast in this galaxy where people discuss the Apple TV Plus show for all mankind. That is 100% a true fact. You can check that on Twitter. <laughs> the source for all human knowledge. I'm Lewis Ryan, your dashing host, and with me as always is my plucky sidekick, Mr. Mike Levito. How's it going? Great, Mike. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. I was going to say, oh, I'm doing great, and I have to catch a flight to Korea in a couple hours but i thought that was probably too soon <laughs> it might be actually a little bit too early for people that haven't watched <laughs> the episodes they might not get this reference yeah but you will understand in just a few moments mm-hmm. exactly how funny mike's quip just was mm-hmm. yeah but so we're back back again i hope everyone had a good thanksgiving uh i know i certainly did although it hasn't happened yet in our timeline <laughs> so who knows but we're here to, to discuss the next uh, two episodes of the exciting second season of Apple TV Plus's Joel Kinnaman talent show-a-thon for all mankind. Um, episode 7, Don't Be Cruel, and Episode 8, Here's to You, both of which are named after songs. Yes. I don't know if you caught that, Mike. I just noticed that right now as I was I, saying it. I got the, uh, I mean, the first episode, certainly. I didn't actually put two and two together for and here's to you but um yeah i mean music plays a very important role in in the first episode it, it is arguably a song that uh causes lots of turmoil between some characters i didn't realize that don't be cruel was a song like when i watched this through the first time that like flew over my head because i guess mm-hmm. i wasn't paying attention and it just made me think of like google like Google had that slogan like "Don't be evil" oh. <laughs> for a long time, and then they like mysteriously removed it. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be a subtle message by the creators to say something about our current landscape in 2021, 2022, to "Don't be cruel." But that's just my speculation. I, Baseless. I, you, you could be onto something. Yep. So we're going to discuss those two episodes, two very exciting episodes. This season is ramping up to be one of the best of the best. It's going to be like, hey, Breaking Bad Season 5, get out of here. There's a new <laughs> kid in town, and his name is Joel Kinnaman. But before we get to that, Mike and I have a little fun treat for all our listeners, something we unearthed going through the depths of a superficial YouTube search. A few episodes ago, we talked a lot about Tracy appearing on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, right, Mike? We did, yes. That That's obviously a big plot point is that Tracy's a celebrity now, and she's like a frequent guest on Carson. She was, of course, being... She was, she was on TV when she was on Earth, but now she's doing live... Well, I guess not live. They, they broadcast that show live. She is doing interviews from the moon on The Tonight Show. Yeah, and we speculated back and forth about how like realistic this was that an astronaut would be on johnny carson and we we thought about it because you and i watch late night tv probably not as much as we used to but like i've seen you know lots of jimmy fallon jimmy kimmel conan craig ferguson you know (laughs) all those guys spike ferriston carson Um, daly (laughs) magic johnson he had a show a little for a little bit right the Pat Sajak show. <laughs> the, um, ju- just, not, none of Jay Leno's Tonight Show work, just the Jay Leno show, the, the 10 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, we, we were familiar with late night TV, and, like, as far as you and I can recall, there was never a, an astronaut on well, any of those. It's funny because now that you say it, I do have a memory of, 
I think there was one show that did like a live interview with. It was whichever Kelly brother went into space. If you remember, yeah, it was, was with Mark Kelly, right? Yeah, who, who's currently just won re-election as senator from Arizona. I remember him doing a live interview on one of them. I don't remember which. And I do remember I think it was Colbert. It, it very. Oh yeah, that sounds right. And then I remember seeing another in, like astronaut do an interview as well. But the thing is, they were never like the marquee guests, right? They were always like the second guest. And like you would turn on TV and be like, wait, who, who's this guy? Yeah, it was like a, a post monologue bit, but I, I think, um, but it was never like they were there in person, right? I, I saw it once in person, I think. Okay. Um, but the point is, is that you unearthed, uh, it was actually just the audio of Kristen, uh, Christopher McAuliffe, who was a school teacher who won, not she didn't win, she was selected to be like the first teacher in space. And this was like a, nation, a nationwide search for like the first teacher in space. And it was a whole application program and all that. And uh, she ended up on Johnny Carson talking about it. Yeah. Good old Johnny. You know, he was ruling the roost in the 1980s after he completely sabotaged and derailed his old friend Joan Rivers' career as a talk show <laughs> host. Yep. So we have the audio. I couldn't find any of the footage, which presumably exists, like the Johnny Carson or or whatever estate they have, like, the archives of everything. It just hasn't been released. I'm sure it will in the fullness of time. Christopher McAuliffe was on the show, and it was just, uh, you know, really nice to hear her speak. You know, obviously, it's uh, it's funny to, like, listen to her, and it's like, you know, they're all excited. To, and, like, I guess, like, the show, like, the optimism of the show is wearing off on me because it's like I hear her listening about, like, going to space and the training and stuff, and it's hard to remember that she actually, you know, succumbed to tragedy when the, the shuttle launched and you know she ended up uh passing away unfortunately but it, it i think it's uh you know well worth a listen did you listen to this mike i did yeah it was really interesting to hear you know her talk about being selected and what her plans were um well she was in space as you mentioned of course she unfortunately did not make it to space because she was on challenger which as i'm sure our listeners know you know exploded uh in the atmosphere broke apart only a minute and 13 seconds after the launch and everybody on board died. And the really horrible thing is that, like, uh, her, like, school was, like, watching the launch live when it was happening. Um, so they saw that happen live, which is just, like, the most terrible thing in the world. But, yeah, no, I, I found the interview very interesting, just, you know, the way she talks about, um, like, the whole, like, rescue maneuver thing where she had to, like, train to, like, be in, like, a bag for, like like, two hours or something. Like, if something went wrong, they would just, like, basically put her in this like bag and then like an astronaut would just kind of like haul her around <laughs> until like they were able to escape whatever accident was going on so yeah no, it, I, I thought i i did like i like legitimately like learn things from it i think it's a pretty interesting moment a pretty interesting slice of american history yeah and i think it speaks to the fact that she was probably selected to be like a spokesperson mm-hmm. for nasa for the space program like they were obviously looking for someone who could you know connect nasa to you know the average working workaday american person and you know it's she seemed to you know uh fit that role effectively the audience seems to really go i don't know if bananas bananas might be too much but the audience seems to really like her and like cheer her on yeah yeah i, I would agree she she had like uh she was like poised to become a national hero is what what, what i is like was kind of my takeaway and it's a it's a shame that never came to be even though she she is, I think, considered a hero in, in some ways. A, uh, yeah, well, it's just a really tragic moment. Right, uh, yeah. 
-hmm. history, space history. Yes. And then if anyone's curious, I did try to look up like the Tonight Show from the day the Challenger event happened. Johnny was not in that day, as was super common when he actually hosted the Tonight Show. He did not host the Tonight Show that night. It was Joan Rivers. Mm. Um, she she gave him a mo- she skipped giving a monologue just to say a tribute to the people on the Challenger, and then encourage everyone to come back uh, and enjoy the show. So that's what happened. I encourage anyone to check out that audio clip. I'm sure we'll post it to our Twitter. Right, Mike? I'm sure it's something worth posting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if Twitter still exists, so look for our Mastodon <laughs> account, which yeah. will be coming real soon. Truth Social, Getter, we'll be on all of them. Yeah. D- Dig. Dig. <laughs> Friendster. Bebo. Anyways, that's enough ballyhoo about fun stuff we uncovered on the internet. We're going to take a short break right now, and then Mike and I are going to dive into these two episodes the first of which starts with a bang. Mm. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of the Post Riders articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a once a week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com newsletter to sign up now. So this episode, as we said, it's called Don't Be Cruel. Lots of stuff happening in this episode, right, Mike? The first thing I want to ask you, Mike, with so much stuff going on in this episode, can you tell me what is going on with Gordo Stevens in this episode? Well, so that's the thing about this this, uh, episode is that there's not a lot of Stevens action and there's not a lot of Baldwin action either. It's not really an episode about them. But to answer your question, is, is Gordo even in this episode? <laughs> no, that's why I asked. Gordo is not in this episode at all, which I, I noticed when I was rewatching it. I was like, huh. Yeah. So that I just asked you that as like a joke. <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't realize what was going on. I was like, yeah. I, like, I also noticed, too, he wasn't really in it. I was like, oh, wait, because he wasn't in it at all. That's interesting. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is definitely an Ellen-centric episode. Yeah, it's it's Ellen centric, and uh, how does how did things kick off in this episode, Mike? So we begin with Ellen and, and Tom Payne, you know, having a drink. They're they're about to to hop on a flight to Korea to negotiate a space alliance with Korea, and this is kind of like the the latest in like sort of like the thaw of Tom Payne, if you will. You know, he was in the first season as this sort of like you know nasty enforcer for Nixon, but this season when he's back working for Reagan, he's he's takes a bit of a softer tone and people realize oh like he's not just like some heartless bureaucrat like he actually does care about the mission and he actually has some intelligent things to say uh ellen gets a phone call it turns out that her father has had a heart attack and she initially is going to go to korea but then tom's like no no it's fine you go to connecticut which is where he is like i'll i'll just i'll just go myself and she's like okay great 
So and next we see Tom on the plane. He is talking to Margot on one of those old-fashioned plane phones um, they used to have to like pay to use. I realize I have no idea how those work, and I probably should look at how they do, but I was like, huh, this is an odd thing. Anyway, um, talking, and they're, they're talking about, you know, uh, Danny and Nathan Morrison are doing in Russia. They're talking about, um, you know, just, just, just business, basically. And it's, you know, getting clear that Tom and Margot now like each other. But as they're doing that, we see two Russian fighter jets pull up behind the flight he is on and then eventually launch their missiles at the flight. And we get, I thought it was actually handled pretty well, like how you get this kind of like small boom and then like Tom turns around and is like, wait, what's that? And then just, boom, call, calls dead. It turns out that uh, Tom was on Korean Airlines Flight 007, which if you know your Cold War history, uh, was an actual flight from Korean Airlines that was flying uh, from New York to Seoul. It stopped over in Anchorage, Alaska first, and accidentally veered into Soviet airspace and was shot down by Soviet uh, warplanes and caused, you know, lots, obviously lots and lots and lots and lots of tension between the United States and Soviet Union, you know, probably came maybe as close to war as th th they did in the 80s definitely kind of like rekindled the cold war tom Paine was not actually on that plane um, a, a u.s congressman larry mcdonald was uh, but tom Paine was not so yeah a uh, a tragic moment in the show and one that of course sets the status of the the, the apollo soyuz mission into uh turmoil which is especially problematic because as we mentioned two astronauts are currently in russia this Korean flight was a real thing that actually happened where it was shot down. So, Mike, you and I were both born about, like, 10 years after this happened. So uh, did you know about this before you watched uh, this episode of the show? Yeah, I did. I remember I, I had read about it somewhere. I, I had, like, a vague idea that it happened. I think I always got it confused with, like, the Lockerbie bombing, which was, like, another air disaster that happened in the U.K., I think around the same time, but uh, yeah, I did kind of know about it. I did. I don't think I maybe realized how. I mean, obviously, if this would have happened, that you know would have been like big news. I guess I didn't realize how much it kind of impacted U.S.-Soviet relations, which I guess maybe I should have realized. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they made this sort of like a huge plot point in this show because there probably are a lot of younger viewers who, who are not familiar with it. Yeah, I certainly I had no idea of anything about it. Um, I guess one of those things that's probably lost to time than the fog of war, <laughs> the cold war. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I was surprised. And like, I guess I knew it was real when they started showing clips of Ronald Reagan talking about it. Mm -hmm. That, you know, it's got, this show is weird where I have to keep reminding myself <laughs> it's alternate history because they keep doing a lot of stuff that actually happened. Right. It's not just Reagan, right? Cause they also have like Tom Brokaw. And Dan Rather right. reporting right. on it, and like we had like like there was like fake Barbara Walters in the first season, like we we had and fake Walter Cronkite too. Like we had these like kind of like fake news anchors, but now they have like I was watching this like oh like this is probably like actual archival footage of like what's happening, right? Which yeah is kind of I mean like they they integrated effectively, but you're right, it is kind of like oh yeah I have to remind myself like this didn't actually happen. Well, I mean like it did happen, but it didn't happen quite. Th this one guy was not actually on the plane. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Dear Tom Payne is our uh, fictional entry point into this uh, horrific real-life disaster. He ends up paying the price. And uh, Ellen, uh, who, you know, by virtue, dint of the fact that her father had a heart attack, ack, 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 uh, 
had to go home to uh, Connecticut. Yes. And then uh, is sort of tapped by Reagan to fill in for Tom Paine. Yeah, she is. She she's now the uh, the interim NASA administrator, um, which is you know a, a little bit of whiplash I think for some people in the room, but but welcome because you know she's she's one of them, right? She isn't just a political stooge. She she is an astronaut. She she came up through NASA. She she really wants to get to Mars, and so it, it creates this kind of like you know shift in hierarchy and kind of like sets her career in a whole new direction. Yeah, I'm going to say this is like another smart decision by the writers. It's the same kind of smartness I felt like when it's like they had Karen by the outpost at the beginning of the season where it's just like it makes sense, like killing Tom in this way and introducing the element of the Soviets accidentally shooting down this jet. It like, uh, you know, brings up the energy of like, oh, things are getting tense between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and also elevates Ellen to this position where it's like clearly she's an important character the show like they have this actress and obviously like tom Payne wasn't because i guess he was like a real person and the show loves to you know get the real people out of the way and bring their <laughs> fictional characters but you know she she was big on this season like ambition like she's kind of like a upwardly mobile person she's like i want to get to mars and you know the way to do that is to climb the corporate ladder so to speak and so like she gets elevated really quickly into this position by virtue of this horrible tragedy. So I think it's a, a smart decision to both like energize the character of Ellen and like, you know, the, the tension, the cold war tensions underlying mm. the season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. And it, it, um, yeah, it just, it just advances the plot really well. It adds another more depth to the character of Ellen. And yeah, it just, it's, it's a good, he said, a, a smart, a smart writing decision. Yeah. There's just kind of like a lot of like immediately after, the plane is shot down. There's a lot of meetings at NASA. You know, Bradford, who, who's like the, the the Air Force general, who's like the military liaison to NASA. You know, he's like, oh, well, you know, they probably thought it was a spy plane. And they were like, was it a spy plane? And he's like, no, of course it wasn't a spy plane, which it was not a spy plane. But again, this, this creates a situation where um, the Americans in Russia, specifically Danny and Nathan are now kind of like locked in their hotel rooms, not able to contact anybody. They don't really know what's going on. And then you also have the Russians in the U.S., specifically Sergei Nikolov, who's, you know, like the Russian head of the Apollo Soyuz project. He's also like kind of locked in his hotel room, not able to contact anybody and all of that. And so it throws this whole other project into into turmoil, and uh, they, they have to, to figure out what to do. And that, that's, I feel like in a lot of ways, that's that's kind of the bulk of the episode. Margot, she she goes to Sergey's room, and there's like a there's like a guard out front outside of it, and she she kind of, you know, threatens his job basically, and, and and he lets her go back in, you know, and and he she they have she has this this meeting with Sergey where they eat borscht memorial borscht, which I had to look up and see if that was an actual thing. It turns out it is. I guess borscht is kind of like in in Eastern Europe. It is the like this post- show refuses to make anything up. <laughs> yeah. It is like the post, uh, um, the post funeral meal of choice in Eastern Europe because the idea is that like the soul leaves with like the steam of the borscht, I guess. And they have this kind of heartfelt conversation about, you know, trying to to get in contact with with the astronauts. Yeah, well, I like Margot's plot in this episode where she realizes that we're spying on Russia and they have like the old plans for Challenger, where it's right. like the, you know, they realized if like the temperature 
you know, in space is much different than it is in Texas. So like this thing would get cold and Challenger would explode if it ever launched, which it ended up doing. And then the Russians have like these old plans, but they don't have like the information that temperature will change and then their ship could explode. So Margo's like, we have to tell them because if they launch using these stolen plans, then the people will die. And then the General Bradford's like, well, we can't because then they'll know we're spying on them. And, you know, they're smart people. They'll figure it out. And he also probably, like, hates the Russians and kind of, mm-hmm. like, wants them to die, too. So Margot has to, like, somehow convey this information to the Russians without, you know, like, tipping them off. And it felt like a very good plot. It felt very Star Trek-y to me, which I thought, you know, is, a, is always a plus. Yeah, it is an interesting... So what happens is, yeah, Bradford comes to Margo and is like, hey, like, you know, we found out that basically this one, the Baron shuttle is basically based off the Challenger shuttle model. Like, there was... Because it's in the first season where there's, like, a KGB... Like, they found out there's, like, a KGB agent at NASA, right? Or they think there is. Basically, it's like, yeah, they, they got plans for it, and then Margo's like, oh, like, they didn't realize that, like, this O-ring's defective... And he's like, yeah, when Upriver's like, well, they, you know, they have smart people there. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll find it, right? Being like, wink, wink, you know, it wouldn't be awful if a Soviet shuttle just exploded and failed to launch. But Margo, yeah, and it creates this kind of moral quandary where it's like, does Margo tell Sergei about this? And if so, how does she do it? And it should be noted, like, that was the flaw with the Challenger shuttle, was that the O-ring became brittle and fragile overnight, and that's what where the separation happened and what what caused the the basically explosion of the shuttle. Yeah, very Star Trekky. Mm-hmm. And I also like the plot of Danielle in the Soviet Union. Um, she goes with somebody, but he's not really that important. Um, <laughs> she's trapped in a, Mike said a hotel room. It really felt it was like an apartment building, like a furnished apartment that she's. Uh, stuck in Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i really liked it because i'm always interested because there's a lot of cold war media out there but it's always very you know american focused Mm -hmm. and like i really am interested in seeing what life was actually like in the soviet union which is you know very hard to come by in a Mm. lot of respects because like we have they're like there's chernobyl and like there's like the the americans has some stuff set in the soviet union not a whole lot and I know there's some other things out there, but, like, I'm interested, like, what was life like on a day-to-day basis for people in Russia in the 80s? And we sort of get this here. I mean, Danielle's just basically trapped in the room, but I'm always interested in that to see, like, was living in the Soviet Union, like, really that bad? Or is that just American propaganda? Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Danny is stuck in this kind of horrible situation where it's probably extremely negative um, that she's trapped in this building and sort of is, like unable to contact her her friends in america because Mm -hmm. i guess of this confusion with the uh, korean flight accidentally getting shot down it is uh yeah it's it's an interesting scene and and then the kind of meeting between her and the engineer that happens later on is also very interesting as well where he is apparently the like so in like this isn't actually mentioned in the show itself but in like interviews the creators of the show have talked about how sergey korolev like his death is like or his his survival actually is the diversion point for the show and how he died in real life and like you know he, he worked on this his engineer who worked for the space program and there was a sense that you know if he had survived then maybe the soviets would have been able to make it to the moon in the for university survives uh, they do and they have this conversation about you know wanting to go to the stars and and all this yeah well he's like they had we had discussion about 
how far <laughs> should we put flag from the lunar yeah. module? And it's like, if we put it too close, flag would fall over. It's like, if you go, that flag is still there yeah. on the moon. Soviet flag, that means a big deal. Mm. And it's like this very uh, kind of inspiring speech about, you know, this great Ameri- uh, great achievement. Yeah. And, I- uh, you know, we, we can sort of say the same thing about the American flag, which I mm-hmm. believe is still on the moon. Yeah, it is. Um, I think it's like bleached now by, by the sunlight, but but it is still there. Um, and he also talks about how like Danny sees like these names carved into the room and the wall. And I feel like the impression you're supposed to get is like, oh, these are like prisoners. Like these are people who were like stuck here for a long time. But he, it turns out that it's actually where, like Yuri Gagarin. I forget her name off the top of my head, but the, the, the first woman on the moon in the show. Anastasia Belikova. Yes. Um, How could you forget her, Mike? She was the first woman on the moon. I just, you know. She's the Tsar's daughter. <laughs> uh, yeah, and 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 so yeah, it's 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 like oh, like this is actually kind of in a way like a, a monument to that. And then this is skipping ahead a little bit, but eventually when she's like let out of the room, it's revealed that Danny has carved her name underneath their names as well. Yeah, so eventually, I guess it's because of Margot that uh, they are able to have Molly contact Danny and the other American astronaut and send them back home, right? Yeah, because she she talks to to Sergey and he he arranges a call, and uh, yeah they talk and 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 tensions cool and and like that and when she goes to thank Sergey that's when when she tells him like oh you know she sort of subtly maybe it's good that we have some time to sort of like um, not focus on to like to, we can take a step back from the Apollo Soyuz project now because you know we did that with Challenger and we realized that we had this O-ring problem like it was a good thing that we did that you know so maybe we can find other problems in the future too and he's like oh okay like I, he knows what's going on now there's some other stuff going on in this episode which we can go through quickly mm-hmm. so uh Sam Cleveland makes uh, his grand entrance into the outpost <laughs> But apparently this isn't his first time there. Did it strike you weird rewatching this? How Karen's like, it's Sam Cleveland. <laughs> it's like, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Because uh, it is like never mentioned before that he like is, is a frequent guest. But apparently it's like he, he goes, he brings like clients or whatever to like impress them. Yeah, apparently it's like an old sitcom where Sam Cleveland comes in every week. <laughs> and it's like, oh, one of these days I'm going to buy this place. Yeah. And then I thought it was so funny. I, I, well, it was funny in my head because I imagined the situation because Karen sort of comes to a, I don't know, epiphany moment where she's like, you know what? I'm going to take him up on his offer for him to buy the place. And it's like, how much would it take for you to buy this place? And I was waiting for Sam Cleveland to be like, I, I was just kidding. This right. place is a dump. <laughs> um, but she gets what, like $390,000 out of him? Yeah, she gets a lot of money. She's mm-hmm. a shrewd negotiator. Yeah. I can tell because they went back and forth <laughs> a while and she ended up winning. Yeah. Oh, these writers. And you can tell it's official because it's Texas and they shake hands. So I guess like all this meaning and purpose Karen got from running the outpost uh, meant nothing. And she just really wants a lot of money, which she has now. Yeah, I. it, it is. I guess the motivation there is not entirely clear to me outside of the fact. I mean, like, because like at the beginning of that episode, not th- that like sequence, it's like, there's like a leaky pipe and the men's bathroom's backed up and all this stuff. And she's like, oh, I, got, I got my way out of it. But I do think it is in a way, and it makes a little more sense in the third season, which you haven't seen yet. It kind of follows this theme of her becoming more financially independent. And that's all I'll say about that. 
But anyways, I th- it's interesting because it's like when the season started, I thought Ed and Karen like didn't know Sam Cleveland. Right. Really. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently they're buddy buddy. I yeah. I guess so. They're playing. These writers are playing fast and loose here. <laughs> they are. I mean, like, and that's also how I kind of feel. And we can, we we don't have to spend like a lot of time on this at all. Like that's also how I, a little bit how I feel about like the the Kelly subplot. Which, like, in the prior episode, she's trying to, like, write her college essay for, for Annapolis. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm adopted. And I realize I don't know much about my my old family in, in Vietnam and stuff like that. And she, like, contacts whoever was in charge of, like, you know, v- adoptions from Vietnam at the time. And she, this is, like, one of the few scenes Ed is in. And she, like, she, she comes home and he's well, like. he's not even really in it. It's just his voice. Yeah, he's, he's making bean sandwiches. And uh, she, she, she gets, like, mail from DOD. And it's, like, it has information about her, her birth parents. Her mother died in childbirth. Her father was, like, a, a Viet, like, he was a member of the, the, the Republic of Vietnam Army. and was, like, a, a liaison, I think, to, like, the U.S. Army. And so she sends D-mail um, on, on her, her big old DOS computer. Yeah. Uh, to the DOD being like, hey, I'm trying to get into contact with this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really have... I actually kind of like this plot line mm-hmm. in the season. And I, I don't know, the scene in particular wasn't, like, outstanding. But, I mean, I like seeing the old school computer right. and, like, the D-net, if you will. Right, yeah. I, I don't have anything against it. It just it feels, like, a little out of place. It's, like, not bad. Like, I don't think, like, and they, they spend, like, little enough time on it that I don't think it actually takes away from the show. It, but, I, but, like, re-watching it, I was like, oh, this, like, I feel like doesn't actually end up building up to much. But, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of just, like, we ha- why not just have this daughter character be, like, a daughter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. for anyone in the Baldwin family to act like a, a sane person. Right. <laughs> this season it seems like they've all their brains have all become open wounds mm-hmm. to a trauma and whatnot yeah. but i i don't know i mean i liked it mm-hmm. i mean it is does sort of address you know i'm sure this must be real akin to real life fallout from the vietnam war right oh yeah I no, mean, yeah we're on i think we can both agree that this kind of plot was handled much better in the hey arnold christmas special <laughs> episode right yeah with the one with, is that the one with mr win yeah mr win and his mm-hmm. daughter yeah um, I, I would agree. And then, so let's go back to Karen, right, Mike? Because because uh, uh, Karen is is happy because she's sold the outpost and she's celebrating with mm-hmm. um that other guy that works there. Oh, it's uh it's Tracy Gordo's son, Danny. Yes, he works there. Danny Stevens. And you know they're both really happy about it. Yes. And and Danny is of course he's currently a student at Annapolis and he's he's gonna be gone in like a week. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I made one donation to the uh, to the Outpost jukebox before I left. He's like, oh, really? What is it? And he goes over and he plays it. And it's uh, Billy Swan, a country singer's version of Don't Be Cruel, which is sort of this, you know, the original Don't Be Cruel is this very kind of like punchy pop song from the 50s. And, and Billy Swan's version is, is much slower and languorous and, and kind of sultry in its own way. And of course, Danny, I talked about when he was a kid seeing Karen dance by herself to Elvis's version of don't be cruel. Um, and how it was like a, like a, a, I guess a formidable memory you could say. So they start dancing together. Um, and it seems very friendly and then it gets too friendly and they kiss and she's just like, get out of here and don't come into work next week. 
there will be i think we'll talk about this tomorrow when we talk about the next episode mm-hmm. like there's something going on here and yeah. i'm not sure if i like it <laughs> and then and then she goes home and has sex with that yes <laughs> which is the right thing to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> redirect joel, those urges <laughs> joel kinnaman probably got his script for the week and yeah. it was like two pages <laughs> it's like, all right i like this show yeah um and I guess we'll just talk about the ending and then go into the next episode because of time. Well, t- t- two more quick points is that um, the other thing that Ed is in is when they say, like, and this is because of, of the, the the KAL thing, is that, like, they announced that they are going to arm Pathfinder, which is the nuclear shuttle that Ed will be piloting. Um, and they're going to, to, like, put missiles on it, and they're going to test the missiles while they're in space. They're going to, like, shoot down s- these satellites. And then also there's, like, this conversation between Aleda and Margo where Aleda's talking about how to go. Like, I'm glad I'm here, but also, you know, I, Bill Strausser is being kind of a jerk. And then Margo tells her this story about Bill uh, peeing his pants during one of the Gemini missions. Um, but yes, the ending. Do, do you want to describe it or should I describe it? They send the military soldiers to the moon to reclaim the base that the Soviets subsumed from America. And so... They all charge in, muttering Ride of the Valkyries, like Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. I really enjoyed how Tracy just sort of, like, joins in, mm-hmm. like, reluctantly, singing, like, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to, but mm-hmm. she's just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they charge in, and then the Soviets are like, what? Guns yeah. on the moon? <laughs> and then, yeah, and then swoop. They manage to swoop in and take the base back, and it's like, big victory for America. Yay! Yeah. Also the tune of the Clash's version of I Fought the Law, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> like, they're not fighting the law. They're like, they're, they're the Marines. It's, I don't really I don't really know why what, what was going on with that To quote choice. Judge Dredd, they are the law. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. And they won, too. Like, that song's about how when you fight the law, the law wins. But yeah, but Tracy... It's an, it's an 80s song, so... It's not an 80s song. It's a 70s song. Whoops. Yep, so big victory for America. Nothing will absolutely go wrong um, from this, and then we'll dive into the next episode. And here's to you, which is named after another song, presumably the Mrs. Robinson song from the film The Graduate, right, Mike? Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I assume so. Simon and Garfield? <laughs> Simon Garfunkel. and Fargunkle. I am now just putting two and two together why they would possibly choose a line from that song for this episode. Really? Yes. <laughs> you didn't realize? No, I, did, I didn't really think about it, but now it makes more sense. All right. Well, <laughs> let's dive into an episode credited to longtime Star Trek writer, Battlestar Galactica reimaginer, Ronald D. Moore, in his magnum opus episode. And here's to you. So let's start off with Mike. What is going on with Gordo? So, okay, Gordo is in this episode. Um, and he is in a space shuttle being launched into space. He, after all, all that stir moon drang about, you know, if he really wants to go back up there, if he can keep himself sane, if he can be in shape, he is finally on his way to the moon and he makes it there. And he's very, well, he's, I was going to say he's very happy to be there. He's like not unhappy to be there, but when they get near sort of the old Jamestown base, which is now the galley of the larger Jamestown base, he's clearly a little... A little disquieted. Well, I think the, the music kind of is implying that he's very happy to yeah. be there. Yeah, he, he's back in black. Even yeah, though he's that's uh, ACDC, orange. right? Yeah, ACDC. 
And I was uh, when I when this was happening, all I was thinking, it's like, thank God Gordo isn't a douchebag. Because <laughs> if this was, I would probably be like, I would probably hate this scene. Because <laughs> you hate ACDC? <laughs> no, just because it's because it, like the song, you know, it's like telling you the emotions to feel. Right, it's, right. It would be very obnoxious if Gordo was like a douchebag. Right. Like, I'm back on the moon, baby. <laughs> But it's like, I like Gordo, because he's been portrayed very sympathetically. But if yeah. he was, like, obnoxious and, you know, mm-hmm. if he was, like, more like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast right. and so forth. Mm-hmm. Imagine if, like, the Fonz came in and it was playing Back in Black. It'd be like, okay, we are we already know the Fonz is cool. Let's let's dial it down a bit, boys. But uh, But regardless, Gordo is back. He's been fretting all season long. He's back on the moon. And more importantly, he's going to... He's there with Tracy, and he's going to get Tracy back. Yep, and, and he tells her as much. <laughs> he he catches her smoking in that, I guess that's like the airlock or whatever, and filtering it out with that, with that vacuum or whatever. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, he's like, I feel like I really turned a corner because I'm here to get you back. And she just kind of laughs at him. They're, they're both together. Mm-hmm. Things seem to be going moderately well between the two of them. They both had their... Uh, trials this season Mm -hmm. so forth tracy dealing with not being a fraud and actually doing her job Mm -hmm. and uh gordo uh you know going back and doing his job also in a way not being an insane person was right yes and 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 not being just a guy who is on the uh the so-called rubber chicken circuit and just kind of like talking at kiwanis club meetings so he can raise money for nasa or whatever so, Mike, uh, I, I think we both maybe had the same favorite storyline in this episode. Uh, what was your favorite storyline? Uh, what was my favorite storyline? Um, was it not the Aleda storyline? <laughs> it was. I, I that was. It was. That's an... what I was actually talking about. I thought you would have. Yeah. I thought you really liked this one. No, I, 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 I do, I do, I do enjoy that storyline. It is. I think. Um, we t- we've kind of talked about how like the late storyline in the first season didn't always feel like it it meshed well with the rest of the show, but this one I think it does, and I think like it takes the character in a a direction that is generally kind of more, more interesting and adds a little more depth to her. This, I would say. Yeah, this is when I think Galade actually becomes like a three dimensional character who can like yeah. carry a storyline. Exactly. Show. Yeah. So she, she's still kind of clashing with Bill Strausser, and and she's arguing with him one day at NASA. And, uh, you know, she, she, she says something to her and then he calls her, he, he, well, he says like, I was working on this when you were in diapers and she's like, well, maybe you should have been working on diapers during Gemini. And he's like, what? And she calls him peanut, which is what they called him after he peed himself, which doesn't actually make much sense. But so yeah, bullying bullying doesn't have to make sense. (laughs) It's true. It really doesn't. It had the word pee in it, I guess. Um, and it, he peed from his nuts. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is where the p is stored that is true <laughs> uh, <laughs> i can't believe this is what's making you crack up the most in the um many episodes we've recorded i i have a very juvenile sense of humor but yeah so she calls him that and then uh she it's clear that she's crossed the line right yes we've, and... we've talked already about how I'm sorry, what's this character's name that she yells at? Bill. It's clear that, you know, we thought that Bill was treating her not really that terribly, right? Mm-hmm. She was kind of overreacting a bit, in our opinion. 
Well, yeah, she because she's like on the operations team, and she wants to. She she keeps having opinions about design, and he's like, no, he he's trying to put her in her place basically. And you know, it, it's a thing where like she has this very like rebellious personality. Like we find out early in the season that she keeps getting like fired from jobs, even though she's like brilliant. And this is kind of like we we see that like now play out, right? This is they told us, but now they're showing us it happened, and it leads to this conversation between her and Margot, where Margot's like, so Bill Strausser quit today and Alita's like oh it's probably because of what I said to him and Margo's like well you can either go back and convince him to, to to return or you can be fired basically so she goes to him hat in hand and tries to convince him to, to come back to NASA we should mention that Bill Strausser is watching one of Mike and I's favorite tv shows mm-hmm. the Jeopardy yeah and it's funny how like Alita knocks on Bill's door and Bill's like uh what do you want and then like Alita just like runs in and it's like looks at like all of his spaceship models and it's like wow is this from space 1999 and i like the way bill's like this isn't like a tour yeah (laughs) what are you doing here (laughs) he's like kind of funny like i said i think it's an earlier episode that like when i first watched this i thought it was paul walter hauser (laughs) playing bill it's it's not it's a guy it's a guy named noah harpster but yeah, he he does a really good job of of playing of being just someone who's kind of like over it and is really like annoyed. But and so they they talk about it, and he's like, look, he's like, the reason why this happened, the reason I peed myself, is that like this was the mission where like Neil Armstrong and I forget who else was in, in the in the space capsule, they were tumbling. What on Gemini? Yeah, on Gemini. It's like him and this other guy were tumbling, and it was the end of my shift, but there was an emergency going on, and like they blacked out, they would have died. There would be no Neil Armstrong on the moon. We eventually made it through. We, we, we got through it. We celebrated. I felt like accepted and like I had accomplished something. And, you know, I had to pee and it just kind of happened and somebody pointed that out. And now that's all anybody talks about that day. And Alita tries to kind of like connect with him being like, hey, like I have my shame too. I was homeless for a little bit. I was scavenging food. I got shot in my shoulder by like rock salt and bird shot. And I went to the hospital and they called the police and I had to run away because I don't want to be deported. So I still have birdshot in my shoulder and like very nasty scars. So like I I, I know I know how you're feeling. Yeah, it's this very nice tender scene between the two of them. It's uh, really well done. I really don't have anything else much to say about it other than that they just sit down and enjoy Jeopardy right, right. afterwards. Yeah, no, it's like a it's it's always good when a, when an unlikely friendship strikes up in a show and it doesn't feel forced, right? Like I feel like the the chem like there there is chemistry between Noah Harpster and Coral Pena, the one who plays Alita. Like I said, de- de- definite like there's there's definitely chemistry there, and and the way the relationship grows later on this season, and then also in the third season as well, and it's uh it's good. I I like them as a duo. It's just great because like we've been kind of down on Alita. We feel like she was in the wrong, and it's nice that she stood up and like admitted it. Yes, yeah. uh, scene, and um, they were ending able to bond over Jeopardy, and just to think. If they if a lady had come by a few minutes later, Wheel of Fortune would have been on, and then this possibly could have just ended in disaster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a very good point. Um, no, nobody wants to bond over Wheel of Fortune. Like if uh, like they're watching the word puzzle, and like Alita solves it before Bill did, and it's like I already knew it. <laughs> Anyone could guess it right now, Alita. Look at all how many letters are up there. That's how I feel every time I watch Wheel of Fortune with my family. It's like, it's always like, well, it was on the tip of my tongue. I mean, you didn't have to just say it out loud, you know? 
I like to solve, Pat. Okay, bathroom break. God damn it. <laughs> uh, should we talk about our least favorite plot line in this episode? I assume it's the same one for both of us. Is it? I you keep assuming. What what is your least favorite plot line? So the title is oh. clearly in reference to Mrs. Robinson from the yes. 1968 film The Graduate, mm-hmm. starring Dustin Hoffman. A great film, by the way. Really captures the spirit of the 60s. So. This season, there's been a lot of uh, relationship building between Karen Baldwin and Danny, young Danny Stevens. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's been a lot of fraught tension in the Baldwin household. Yes. And last, last episode, in fact, we ended on this scene of Danny kissing Karen. Mm-hmm. And Karen's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and she, she just stops and then goes home. And then, like we said, she has uh, sex with Ed. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that she uh, is um, turned on by Danny. Yeah. And they both end up consummating <laughs> their relationship in this episode. In the basement of the outpost. Yeah. And then Danny is, like, in love with uh, Karen Baldwin. And Karen's just like, no, no, no. This is just, like, what friends do. <laughs> yeah uh and then uh it's all a blur <laughs> to me after that well what i think is yeah it's like they they consummate their relationship and he's like you know we could uh we could like uh move in together like like get a place in, in the city and she's like no <laughs> like absolutely not <laughs> it's what the, the part i really like is like she's like we had a good time like we had like a really great time like trying to like not hurt his feelings about his uh his performance but I, yeah, it's, it, you know, it, I guess it's kind of an odd moment. Um, kind of an odd moment. <laughs> and she, she did tells... This, did this catch you by surprise, Mike, when you're watching this the first time? Like, you're, you're a fan of this show. You like it. Mm-hmm. You you got me to start watching it. Like, when this happens, is this something like, what, what are you thinking when you watch this happen? I, so, but the thing is, like, they build up to it throughout the entire season, so like it didn't it didn't catch me by surprise per se, but like I mean like when they get to the shot of like them in bed like in the basement of the bar, I'm like this feels like a little over the top. I don't, know, I don't think I hated it quite as much as you did, but it is also well. Uh, let me let me put it this way: when you're this is a show that it's obviously like you recommend to people. Yeah. When you watch something like this, does that impact like your you know? oh, gosh, I don't know if, like, I can recommend this show anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, does that impact that any- at all in any way? That's a good question. Um, I don't... I I don't know that it does, really. D- would it impact you to do that? Well, it's just, like, this show was, like, pitched to me as, like, you know, a Star Trek show. Right, right. About, you know, competent astronauts doing competent things. Now, I'm going to make a Star Trek reference that'll be if, that hopefully our listeners will get. I know you won't get it because you haven't watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. This is like if... Uh, so there's Captain Benjamin Sisko, the, cap, the commander, first of all. He's commander of Deep Space Nine, the space station. And he has a son, Jake Sisko, who's roughly like 17 years old when the show mm-hmm. starts. So this would be... And then there's like Kira Norris, who's like an older woman, like 30-ish, who's like, uh, you know, on Deep Space Nine is like a second in command this is be like if jake sisko and kira nari slept together on star trek you're just like watching season one it's like oh there's jake you know he and his dad they like get along you know the mom's dead but you know the father and son they have this strong relationship out here and then 
boom, Jake Sisko sleeps with uh, the Lieutenant Colonel Kira. And it's like, what? This isn't why I watch the show. I don't watch the show for this. I watch Star Trek for the funny plot lines, you know, where the aliens come and they get trapped in a prison cell and they're forced to fight other people in a gladiatorial arena or something, or they play baseball for an episode. I don't watch the show to watch 17-year, or you know, 21-year-old kids, I guess, to be fair, sleep with, you know, 40-year-old women. Why is this in the show? <laughs> Speak for yourself, man. No, um, I... <laughs> I, so it's funny, right? Because this does feel Did like... Did we need a whole alternate universe for this? <laughs> it does feel... Like, we talked a lot how the first season feels like it's trying to be Mad Men. And this feels like sort of like a vestigial part of, like, the Mad Men, right? It reminds me of the, the, the like, relationship between Betty and Glenn in, in Mad Men, which is never actually consummated. Um, but there's a similar, like, age dynamic going on there. Um, to me this this like goes beyond Mad Men. This is like flowers <laughs> in the attic territory where I know it's not incest, but it kind of feels that way just because the age difference and like the relationship because like Danny is a character in season one. We see him when he's like a little boy. yeah and Karen is played by the same woman. Mm-hmm. It's just it's uh it's strange. like obviously if Karen were aged up a bit more, I think, yeah, I think that's part of the uncanny valiness of it, right? Is right. that Karen, the actress, has not like really aged up that much. Like no. they did like her hair a little, mm-hmm. but she like looks the same. So it's just it feels weird, feels icky. This is not the show I wanted in an alternate history space program show about the Cold War and set at NASA. You know, I didn't want to watch this. <laughs> that that's fair enough, man. That uh, that that is your right to not want to watch. I mean, it, it is obviously like a very weird dynamic. Do you remember um, that SNL sketch that uh, John Mul- when John Mulaney hosted about the show about father and the son? They like switch brains, <laughs> and the <laughs> the kid has to have sex with the mom. <laughs> I, I I honestly do not. <laughs> so it's like a, a stock sitcom premise where it's like an eighties like uh, right, family yeah. friendly sitcom. Like yeah. the father and the son, they switch brains. Mm-hmm. And it's like the adult played by Beck Bennett, and he has like the son's brain. And it's like, and they have to keep it a secret. Right. So it's like he has to have sex with the mom. <laughs> and John Mulaney's like giving like the behind the scenes interview about it. It's like, yeah, this show airs, you know, only in Malaysia. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's, I, I didn't want to watch this. <laughs> that is, uh, that is fair. Should, should we move on to stuff you did want to watch then? Pleasant news, like something that I think probably would have made me angry if not angry but you know if this if this karen plotline didn't exist i can imagine being more down on the kelly plotline but here it's a more welcome refresher where we watch kelly visit a vietnamese restaurant like an hour out of town it's like a coincidence that her father is also in texas right yeah yeah although i guess do a lot of immigrants go to texas i remember watching a documentary about that because i mean there is just lots of space that's a good point. I don't, I honestly don't know. I, I, my understanding is that, like, there's a very big Vietnamese community in California. Well, it's closer. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't actually know if there are many of them in Texas. But she goes to a Vietnamese restaurant because she gets the, um, a D-mail reply that her father uh, is in America, is in Texas. Now, obviously, it's, like, far away from her in Texas. It's not like they're in the same town. Her father works at NASA. Right. Yeah. It's not something like that. Mm-hmm. her father's ronald reagan her father works at a vietnamese restaurant she goes she meets like her half sister right yeah it is she she meets the hostess 
um, who tries to speak Vietnamese to her, and Kelly's like, oh, I, I don't. She's like, oh, are you adopted? She's like, yeah. She's like, okay. And she's like, have you ever had Vietnamese food before? She's like, no. And she's like, well, do you like Chinese food? She's like, yeah. She recommends, she recommends the pho. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, like, it's, it's dad's specialty. And she's like, oh, your dad's the cook. She's like, yeah. It's like the family recipe. And it's this sort of like melancholy moment where Kelly eats her father's food, you know, interacts with this, this, this uh, half-sister. And then she go, there's like this bulletin board of like pictures of like the old country. She has the photo of her father and mother. Yeah. And it's the same photo that's on the bulletin board. Exactly, yeah. And if you're an audience member who is watching and hasn't gotten the idea yet. Right. Yeah. The father works at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of moment where she makes eye contact with her father briefly, who, like, comes out of the kitchen to say something to her, her half-sister, and they, like, briefly make eye contact. Um, and she never, she never brings herself to say, oh, by the way, this is who I am. She didn't, she wasn't ready, I guess. No. She didn't have a Hallmark card ready, where mm-hmm. it's like, so I'm your daughter. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, by the way, more than half of Vietnamese Americans reside in California and Texas, so... Um, Boom! There you go. Not in Vietnam. <laughs> well, I mean, they wouldn't be Vietnamese Americans if they did, I guess. So yeah, and that's kind of like that's all we see of the plot line for the rest of the episode. Like we said, not not a bad one, but Hey Arnold was better. Right? Yeah, Hey Arnold did a better job. But you know, it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. It, mm-hmm. it is. It, it like I was saying, it makes more sense to address something like the fallout of the Vietnam War in like an alternate history period show than it makes for Karen Baldwin to sleep with Danny Stevens where it's just like, what? Huh? That is a, that is a good point. We also have some, some, some Molly action going on. Yeah. I like Molly. I'm so excited to see what crazy adventures (laughs) Molly is up to. Tell us what adventures Molly is up to, Mike. Well, early on the episode, we see Molly at an eye doctor and she's like, "Yeah, you're uh, you're you're going blind, basically. You have a normal ten normal pressure glaucoma, normal tension glaucoma, um, yeah, normal tension glaucoma, which is like a thing where like you stop. The idea is is that like basically it's you stop seeing, but like the the optic nerve is not damaged or something like that. And she's like, "Well, what, how, how do I fix it?" She's like, "Well, you can take eye drops, and there there's a surgery option. You can take like oral medication, but like you can only slow." going blind you can't actually like reverse it or or stop it and she's like oh so i'm gonna be blind and she's like yeah pretty much and she's like did you tell the flight surgeon she's like no and then she leaves and we see later on the episode she's watching tv and there's a news broadcast about how things are escalating in panama there's some violence going on in panama which which should remind you is now kind of like soviet aligned and the u.s still owns the panama canal in this universe and wayne her husband comes in and is going to hand her a beer, but she, like, doesn't see it right in front of her. And it, it causes this whole conversation where she confesses to Wayne that she was caught in the radiation storm and that um, she is going blind. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Very sad. It is. There's never a part when it's like, she's like, well, so, doctor, what's the cure for glaucoma? And the doctor's like, pot, man. It's like, well, I already smoke lots of pot. And the studio audience laughs. Yeah. And then Wayne comes home, and the room's just filled with smoke. <laughs> yeah, and it never turns into a Cheech and Chong routine, unfortunately. No. But, yeah, it's very sad. I don't know. I mean, I like the character, and I'm not, like, disliking this storyline, but it is, like, Molly was such a vibrant you know, character in season one, you know, confident and full of action. And it's like kind of sad just to be like, 
oh, what if she, you know, gets cancer and is going blind? Yeah, it is. Uh, but and that's what makes it so kind of like effective is that she is this like you know swashbuckling pilot, and then she's going to be handicapped forever. And I mean, later on in this season, the last few episodes, it sets up a more kind of like it's a bigger dilemma for her. But it's like you know who because like who is she if she can't fly? Is is kind of the sense we're trying to get right this is like a huge part of her identity she didn't even like being a temporary sort of like head of astronauts behind a desk it's like who is she now if she can't fly yeah and she has to wrestle with that for the rest of the season there's a scene right she gets in a plane right. like gordo yes. did i guess and she like goes up into space yeah. it's kind of like the beginning of that damien chazelle movie first man right yeah. mm-hmm. where she like goes up and the sky goes from blue to black and she puts her hand up on the cockpit window mm-hmm. and it's like she knows like she'll never be able to go up into space again yeah. like the only uh infinite darkness awaiting her is when her eyesight fails she she goes up and then goes right down and then the radio's like uh molly are you okay <laughs> Your altitude just dropped. <laughs> well, I love how they didn't see the altitude go to, like, you know, near, like, space levels. And we're like, are you okay? Like, are you trying to fly into space right now? <laughs> like, I wonder, like, uh, I do, I like, what if there was, like, a rogue pilot who just, like, took a plane and went straight up into space? Is that, like, possible? I mean, I think what would happen is what happens in this episode is that eventually it would just, like, stall out and the plane would come tumbling down. Mm. Yeah, it would freeze like Iron Man, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what's happening. The last moment of triumph for Molly? Question mark. Is there anything else to talk about before the ending? Well, we have the Pathfinder team practices, simulates their right, like right. weapons testing mission. They're all very uncomfortable with it. We get Ellen. Is this the episode where she's like talking to um, like John Power, who's a real senator from Texas, trying to get like funding for NASA? And like Pam sees her in this mode. She and Pam are like living together now. Which I did just realize, like, oh, yeah, Pam just, like, straight up leaves her, like, old girlfriend for for Ellen. Pam's kind of lousy. Yeah. Ellen gets a phone call from Ronald Reagan himself saying, I'm going to nominate you to be the permanent head of NASA. Well, it's more than a phone call. They have, like, futuristic video tech. Well, that, that yeah, that's late. That's, well, she, she, he, he offers her the job on the phone. The futuristic video tech is later on in the episode. Um, what, what do you think of, like, the, the fake Reagan voice in, the, in this show? Because it kind of, like, yeah. when I first watched it, it kind of, like, made me laugh. Like, it, it felt a little, I don't know. I feel like that's Ronald Ray, old Ronnie's charm. Yeah. That he's, you know, affable and funny. So, I mean, it fits for me. I feel like this is a lot better of a Ronald Reagan impression than uh, it is to you. Because I've watched a lot of people do Ronald Reagan. And it's like, well, I'm going to raise taxes on old Gorbachev there. And then I'm going to get my six-shooter and bang, bang. I'm going to put more red dots on his head than he needs. <laughs> Stuff like that. So I feel like this is more realistic sounding. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's not bad, but it, there's something about, I don't know. It, it was almost like too real in some ways. It's hard to explain. Um, is it the uncanny valley effect a little bit but with with with, with voice maybe I, I don't know but there was just something that like i guess maybe it was just funny to like hear ron reagan talk about these fictional characters like they were real even though it wasn't actually ron reagan doing it i don't know um you're saying it's unsettling to watch ronald reagan act in a tv show <laughs> don't watch death valley days then i won't so yeah there's that and then there's also margo and sergey 
Margot and Sergey are meeting about uh, like the budget for for Soyuz Apollo, and Margot's secretary is like, "Oh, you should wear red. He likes red." And there's kind of like this implied sparks flying between the two of them, and they're trying to figure out like how to, um, like the 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 directive from Moscow is that it's like the the astronauts and cosmonauts should be like equidistant between the two capsules, so like no country is hosting and no country is like guesting. But that causes like problems for like how to like set up the camera for for the picture, and so they kind of like they both crawl into the capsule and try to like simulate it, and they're like we can't really do this. Let's flip a coin. They flip a coin. They lose the coin. They're getting very giggly and, and yeah. kind of flirtatious, and, and yeah. I kind of wish that they, in terms of musical stings, they had done like the seventies, like <laughs> put that underneath when it's like they're futzing abound in there. Mm-hmm. Only to get, like, the record scratch when Margot's secretary shows up. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I understand that it's like a screwball comedy scene Mm. of them in in this tube, obviously, and then they're scrunched together. Margot's wearing a skirt, so she can't really maneuver around. I just feel like Ren Schmidt, though, she's, like, playing it more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it it came off a little uncomfortable to me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Me too. And then that's the point. They're supposed to be these kind of like, they're supposed to be like these, these antisocial nerds, basically. Um, At least Margo certainly is, right? The the implication she has no social life outside of her, her little uh, guest spots at the 1159 club on the piano. Right, right, Um, right. Yeah. But it it was funny. I appreciated the the screwball. Like, that felt more like Star Trek to me than whatever Karen and Danny are getting up to. Right, yeah. And then, and then, yeah, then then now we can talk about the ending. Boom! The exciting ending that paves the way for the exciting season ending. Mm -hmm. Mike, what happens? What happens is, is that they're, um, you know, Gordo and Tracy are flying around the LSAM. They're having fun doing it. They're, they're moving. I guess they're transferring one group of Marines to, like, relieve the next group. Uh, they land into the crater and they see movements on top of the ridge. Um, so they go to confront the cosmonauts there, and uh, they 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 switch to like their their radio frequency and tell them to like back off. Like this this the spot's claimed for the U.S. and they say it in Russian. And the cosmonauts like back off, back off, back off, and they get to this sort of like toolbox and they begin to open it up. And the Marines think they're reaching for weapons, so they fire their weapons and hit two of them. And then they they go to the guys on the ground. The one guy is like he's shot and he's kind of like squirming around. The other guy is like on fire. Like whatever happened, the way the bullet struck him in his suit, there is now fire inside of his suit and he's being burnt alive to a crisp. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah. And then they look inside the toolbox and uh, they weren't reaching for guns at all. They were reaching for cars that had like Russian to English phrases on it so they could communicate with them. Yeah. So they basically shot and killed two cosmonauts one is dead the other is critically injured all because of a almost comical misunderstanding (laughs) yes very this a war has been started uh in this scene from national lampoon's lunar vacation and uh yeah it's a pretty exciting stuff who would have thought that you know bringing guns into a situation could make things worse (laughs) i was told the only way to stop a good guy with a gun or bad guy gun with a good guy with a gun yep so that's it this is the exciting ending and i'm excited because this this season ends very strongly in the next two episodes which we'll talk about in the meantime though we're eager to hear your thoughts on this season 
I, Mike and I, I think, would love to hear your explanations for why um, the Karen plotline in this episode is the masterpiece. <laughs> Tend all masterpieces. It's what the show was building to. It's what the show was always going to be about. For all mankind is referring to Karen. And, you know, that's what the show is all about. And so we would love to hear your thoughts on that. And if there's anyone out there who possibly disagrees with this, we'd love to hear from you, too. Any, any ideas are welcome here at the show. You know, Mike and I would love to talk about it, discuss your thoughts and ideas, get a real debate going, start a fire under our belly. So how can people contact us, Mike? Email us at contact at thepostwriter.com, or if you're so inclined, DM us on Twitter at thepostwriter. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Lewis Ryan on Twitter, a website that currently exists at this moment in time. Right. Um, I'm also on Twitter for the moment. I'm at Emlevito. I'm also on Letterboxd at Ameramite. All right, then. Uh, I guess uh, we'll see you around the bend next time, everybody. So take care. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we're the hosts of the Post Writers Podcast, Watching Mates. It's our podcast in which we explore the trends in film under each post-war presidency and reflect on how presidents and the zeitgeist of the era shaped the movies of their time. So be sure to check it out wherever podcasts are found or on thepostwriter.com.